You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 26 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 26 features a 10-fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN Plus and ESPN this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a welterweight contest featuring Christian Aguilera, who is 14-7, and and Carlson Harris, who is 15-4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick shout-outs before we get rolling here. First off, make sure you check out MMAOddsBurger.com opening odds article for UFC Vegas 26 done by Adam Martin. That's the opening odds that I am quoting, their market opening prices, and the updated odds that I will be listing are from Circa Sports here in Las Vegas, also in Colorado. So if you are in Nevada or Colorado, make sure you download the Circa Sports app and start betting with the best sports book in the world right now in Circa Sports. So make sure you check those guys out. Also, Head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out UFC On the Line for UFC Vegas 26. All of my official bets for this card are posted and on that show. So make sure you show some support. If you like this podcast, I'm sure you'll like that show as well. So head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out UFC On the Line for this weekend. So getting right into the fights, though, right now as we speak, uh, Aguilera opened minus 140. Harris opened plus 120. And at Circus Sports, we're currently seeing... Harris minus 160, the comeback on Aguilera at plus 140. So line did flip. More actually coming in Harris's way. Stylistically, this could be a very good fight for the debuting Harris. I mean, he is the type of fighter that's a little bit long as far as physical stature goes. I mean, he's going to have a little bit of length over Aguilera. So you would think that that would do him so good on the feet, but that's not where he wants to keep it. I mean, his fight style and his path to victory is definitely the wrestling, the grappling, the ground game. And I think that's where he's going to have success over Aguilera. And I think that's why everybody's coming in betting Harris early on, especially at the dog price and flipping him to the favor because he does have a significant edge on the ground. Aguilera does have a ba- wrestling background and he is a devastating striker. I mean, he's a knockout artist. That's what you have to be cautious about if you're betting the Harris side is Aguilera's power on the other end. If, if Harris cannot get this to the floor, even though he's longer and he's okay on the feet, Aguilera is a little bit crisper. He has better boxing and he's got more knockout power. So if Aguilera wins, that's probably how he's going to do it. He's probably going to stun Harris and knock him out. Um, but I do think that Harris is tough enough to kind of withstand everything on the feet, get this fight to the floor, and win on the floor, and possibly finish Aguilera as the fight progresses. I think he can get a submission win here or win by positional dominance and ground and pound, something of that nature. So for me, I do like Harris. I'm glad the UFC – if you look at his backstory, I mean it's pretty interesting. So check out Looking for a Fighter. Check out uh, the UFC's uh, YouTube channel, stuff like that. They have a lot of – um, little glimpses into Harris a little bit, if, if that's the right word I'm looking for or whatnot. So make sure you check it out. I think his background and his story and how he made it to the UFC is pretty cool as well. So I am going to pick Harris. I think he gets it done, and he has a successful UFC debut. And I'm right with you. I mean, yeah, Harris does have a fascinating story. I mean, he was not the guy that Dana White was looking for and is looking for a fight, but he beat 
uh, that fighter and convincingly beat him. And Harris is a rock solid grappler. I mean, this guy legitimately very talented grappler. Uh, he didn't just win that last fight to earn his opportunity to the UFC uh, by submission. He's also out grappled some UFC veterans like uh, Wellington Terman and Michael Pereira. So, you know, this guy can, if he gets it to the floor, he is a handful. Um, now, Aguilera, we know how dangerous he can be. Um, that UFC debut when he just obliterated Anthony Ivey in less than a minute. Um, I mean, that speaks volumes. But his last fight, he did get taken down and controlled and outgrappled by Sean Brady, who eventually submitted him. And I think Carlston Harris is at least as good of a grappler as Sean Brady, if not better. So while Harris is pretty one-dimensional, that one dimension is really good. And for one-dimensional fighters, if that one dimension is ground game and the ability to get it to the ground, um, then I think that you can survive being a one-dimensional fighter in the UFC if that one dimension is uh, the ground game. So uh, I think Harris does get this fight to the floor. I think uh, he closes the distance without getting rocked. And I think that he uh, is able to defeat uh, Christian Aguilera. So Harris is going to be my pick. I think he wins that UFC debut. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Tafon and Chukwi, who is 5-0, and taking on Jun Yong Park, who is 12-4. Now, Nick, What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Chukwe opened minus 185, the comeback on Park plus 160. And right now, looking over at Circuit Sports, we're seeing Chukwe at minus 145, the comeback on Park at plus 125. A lot of dog action coming in. A lot of people believe that Park will get this fight to the floor. Chukwe a little bit under, like underrated, I want to say, but a little bit under respected because he hasn't had a lot of MMA fights thus far. Um, so that tells you a lot. I mean, the UFC, obviously, he had a successful UFC Dana White's Contender Series fight, and uh, that kind of brought him to the forefront. But being on the radar with only five professional fights, and that includes his last fight in the UFC where he made his official uh, UFC debut or whatnot. So, I mean, he's four fights in, gets signed by the UFC, wins his UFC debut. This guy's a special, special talent. I mean, just athletically, his size for the weight class is decent as well. He's going to have a little bit of length over Park, and he's just a freak of nature when it comes to power. And his striking is definitely on point. He's a patient striker. He's precise with it, and he has a lot of power. I mean, he has kickboxing background, and it's translated so far pretty decent into MMA. Um, he has to continue to work on that takedown defense and the grappling, of course, and that's what Park's going to bring. So, again, that's why people are coming in betting Park in this spot. Park's striking is not bad. It's not like it's horrible or anything on the feet, but I just think if he stands up with uh, Chukwe, he's going to end up paying for it. So he's going to want to take this, this fight to the floor. I know I understand it was a dog or pass situation possibly at the opening price, but right now I think it's a favorite or pass situation. I think people are underestimating Chukwe a little bit here, and I think he's going to probably get this fight done. I think he will keep this fight in his realm on the feet more so than on the ground. And if he does that, he's going to win this fight. He could win on the scorecards, I believe. And it'll probably be a pretty competitive decision if he hits his cards. But I still think he can outpoint Park or possibly finish Park, which is tough to do because Park's never been KO'd. So we know that. But I think if anybody could do it, it's a guy like Chukwe as well. So my pick, Chukwe, and I think it is probably a favorite or pass situation at this point against the public ring. All right. Now I'll come in and defend the public here. Um, I like Park. I think... Um, 
he's a, a well-rounded, talented fighter that came up short in his UFC debut, but has since looked really solid by mixing in the striking with his wrestling um, and used the wrestling to outgrapple uh, Barry Alt and Phillips um, to, to rack up two straight wins. So this is going to be a battle of uh, Nchukwe, who is a lethal power striker, and Park, who I think is a more well-rounded type of fighter. Uh, Park should have the wrestling edge here. And honestly, you know, Park isn't the greatest striker, but he's a serviceable striker. And while Nchukwe is going to be the taller, longer fighter and is by far the more powerful striker. Um, Park is active enough on the feet that I think he can hold his own in the stand-up with Nchukwe. Um, you got to remember, while Nchukwe does have the ability to knock you out out of nowhere with like brutal head kicks or, you know, just quick flurries, he also is, can be patient to a fault and, will allow his opponent to dictate things. And I can see Park outpointing Nchukwe on the feet. Um, and then if Nchukwe does get over aggressive and starts to, to win some of the striking exchanges, Park has the ground to go to. So if, uh, you know, I, I can see Park per perhaps outpointing Nchukwe on the feet or taking him down. So I like the different ways that, Park can win this, whereas Nchukwe, I think, can only win if he knocks him out. So uh, the fact that Park also has never been knocked out, you know, helps this too. So I'm going to go Park. I think that he could pull off a decision. I think, you know, maybe Nchukwe starts to slow down and, and Park could take over there too. So uh, Park is going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Mike Trezano, who is 8-1, taking on Ludovic Klein, who is 17-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Klein opened minus 150, Trezano plus 130, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Klein minus 240, the comeback on Trezano plus 205. Interesting spot. Obviously, everybody coming in liking Klein. I don't blame him. I mean, the guy is like a human highlight reel when it comes to head kick KOs. And I mean, you could definitely tell that he's in his element on the feet. I mean, the guy's a smooth, fast, devastating type of striker for sure. He has a well-rounded skill set. It's not just the uh, stand-up that is what is good about him. I mean, I think he's a pretty complete fighter. I think if I'm not mistaken, he's got just as many submissions as knockouts on his resume. So, I mean, the guy could do it all. I just think he's probably getting a little bit too much respect at this point. I mean, he only had one fight in his UFC uh, debut, or that was, and, you know, coming off with another impressive highlight reel type of finish there. I get it, but I, I still think that he's being overvalued a little bit. Trezano's kind of being forgotten about, I think, somewhat, if that's fair to say, because Trezano, ultimate fighter winner, I think he's definitely a very solid fighter from top to bottom. I think he's continuing to grow as a fighter. He's 29 years old. Klein, of course, is a little bit younger, 26. I understand that. Uh, but I still think that these guys have a lot of room to grow, and they're only going to get better in both ends of it. Trezano's been out for about two years. Um, after that loss, he suffered to Dawson. So, I mean, I think, honestly, with the time off, it probably was good for him to get his mental focus back and to work on some areas that he needed to improve on. And I think in this fight, he, we're going to see a better version of Trezano as well. So I don't know. I, I mean, I'm going to pick Klein because I think he is 
the better striker and his fight probably does stay upright. But I think Trezano has a few tricks up his sleeve that he could be possibly be able to get this fight to the ground. I think he'll hang with Klein on the feet a lot more than people are giving him credit for as well. Um, and I think he will make this a lot more competitive than people expect. So for me, it's a dog or pass situation, especially the odds. I don't think you can lay the chalk. I honestly feel like the opener wasn't too bad. Klein minus 150, minus 160, minus 170, I could understand. But minus 240, I think is a bit too high. So for me, it's a dog or pass situation here on this fight. I'm going to pick Klein, though. I think he does have the striking to edge this fight out, but not as sold on this fight as everybody else is, or not as confident either. So my pick is Klein, but it's a dog or pass. And I agree. I really do like Klein here. I think that he is the the by far the better striker, and this pr- fight almost certainly stays up on the feet, but it's tough to pay that price. Um, even though Trezano isn't exactly a big power puncher, um, and he's had to, you know, get some close wins in the UFC, uh, split decisions against Gianetti and Pena. So I think on the feet, he either gets outpointed by Klein or finished by by Klein. Um, but there's still paths to victory here. Um, Klein is a little bit untested on the ground. Now, I do think that his takedown defense is pretty good, above average, but uh, the last time he ever lost was about three and a half, four years ago, uh, and he did get uh, choked out in Cage Warriors. So if there's a path to victory, I think it's probably, say, he, you know, gets off balance and or Trezano is able to pick up a takedown with a really good timing and Trezano gets something going on the canvas. Now, Trezano isn't really known for having great uh, submission skills, but uh, he does have a few submissions to his record. So if for some reason he is able to get Klein off of his feet and you know, get something going that that's a path to victory, but on the feet, I mean, I think Klein is nasty. I mean, what he did to Shane Young and Shane Young is a good striker. What he did to Shane Young was, you know, the stuff of nightmares. So, uh, this guy is legit. Uh, his last four fights, he has just absolutely obliterated everybody he's faced and they've been good fighters. I mean, you look at the the records of the people he fought. It was 13 and 1, 39 and 16, 14 and 5, and then he took on uh, 13 and 4, uh, Shane Young, and just massacred him. So, uh, yeah, this guy's legit. Uh, I think that he's got some serious potential in the UFC, and I think that he wins convincingly here, but stranger things have happened. So just be careful, especially with the w- the, the way the odds currently are. Now, moving up to the middleweight division for the preliminary card headliner, we have Phil Hawes, who is 10-2, taking on Kyle Daukus, who is 10-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Daukus opened minus 200, the comeback on Haas at plus 170. Right now, looking over Circus Sports, Daukus minus 130, Haas down to plus 110. Daukus at minus 200 not that good, obviously. That's why everybody pounced on Haas. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I think Dacus has the finishing ability to possibly win this fight because Haas is a little bit shaky defensively on the feet. We've seen that time and time again. He gets wobbled. He starts slowing down a little bit. And it, it gets a little bit more risky with him as the fight slows down and it, with the lack of his strike defense. It definitely is a concern. But his wrestling, his explosiveness on the feet, 
you cannot overlook. I mean, I think he's going to have a significant edge in both areas, um, especially offensively. I mean, I think this guy with his kicks and his punches, I mean, if he lands on you, he can do some serious damage. And then his wrestling is obviously top notch. So he has those edges over Dacus here, but Dacus has those long limbs. He's got those nasty Darce chokes. He gets around your neck a lot of time. You're done. So the finish is going to be potentially there. Dacus has better conditioning as well. Um, and if, obviously he's a little bit more durable, although Dacus has been hurt in fights before. And I've seen that. And I think Haas could actually do enough damage to make this interesting. He might even finish Dacus. I wouldn't be surprised. So I think Dacus is stuck is a little bit overblown. I mean, since his UFC debut against Allen, I know he got a lot of respect. That was a great fight. And he deserves it. But since that time, rattling off the wins that he has, I mean, you got to respect it, but I just still think public overall is putting this guy on a level that he's not quite at yet, but we'll see if he gets there and you got to respect his skill for sure. So I like Dacus. I think that he's a great fighter, but stylistically, I think this could be a very difficult fight for him. And so I'm going to pick Haas. The problem here at the betting window is, I don't trust Haas enough. I mean, like I said, with the lack of defense and with his IQ sometimes and his conditioning sometimes as he slows down, it's hard to bet on the man. So difficult fight at the betting window, uh, but I am going to pick Haas to win this fight. And I agree with you here. Um, Haas is a talented fighter. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, he has that crazy explosive athleticism. He has that, uh, the wrestling to, to back it up and, he also has uh, that nasty knockout power, as we saw in his UFC debut. So this guy is more than capable of doing some serious damage. The The main problem is, as we've seen, is he does also have that uh, issue with conditioning. He has some issues with his durability. Um, so... There are definitely going to be times when he's going to be at a disadvantage against fighters. But against Daugus, I think it's actually going to be okay. Um, now, Hawes is a flawed fighter, but Daugus, when he beats people, it's usually uh, guys that aren't great grapplers or uh, somebody that can't uh, keep a fight upright. Uh, and I think what's going to happen here is... You know, Hawes should be able to keep this standing, and uh, I think uh, Daukus is going to get outstruck over the course of three rounds, and more than likely, um, we're going to have a, a situation where Daukus is not able to utilize that really strong grappling and those darts chokes that he has. So, I think uh, the most likely outcome here is... Hawes keeps this standing and outpoints Daukus over the course of three rounds and either wins by decision or wins by knockout. Um, and there's also the possibility that uh, Hawes knocks, uh, that Daukus gets a finish along the way because Daukus is a really good grappler and he can get this to the floor. But um I'm just not fully convinced that he's going to be able to take advantage if Hawes starts to, if and when Hawes starts to slow down. So I think uh, Hawes is, this is a, a pretty good stylistic matchup for Hawes as flawed as he is. So Hawes is going to be my pick as well. Now, kicking off the main card, we have a women's strawweight battle between Amanda Rebus, who is 10 and 2 and Angela Hill, who is 13 and 9. 
Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Hebus opened minus 175, Hill plus 150. And right now at Circus Sports, we're seeing Hebus minus 180, the comeback on Hill plus 155. Market is on the rise again, though. And it seems like Hebus is the popular play across social media, the betting public, some sharp action that way as well. So a lot of people are on the same Hebus train here. I get it. I understand it. I mean, she's such a good fighter, especially if she's able to get the fight to the floor. I mean, there's not many better than her on the ground for sure in the sport. I mean, Mackenzie Dern could kind of rival that. But I'm saying she's on that high-level jiu-jitsu that – she gets the fight to the floor, you're pretty much done. So she does have the ability to submit Angela Hill, although Angela Hill's takedown defense has improved and her submission defense has improved significantly. Still, she's not a match for Amanda Hebus on the floor. So she's going to want to keep this fight upright. On the feet, even though Hebus isn't bad offensively, she has some power. She comes forward and she's a decent striker. Defensively is where it's a concern. I mean, we see her in every fight. She gets hit. She starts to bleed. She's her. I don't know. I think it's just a little bit too much for me to watch her defensively be that bad, if that makes sense. So I'm not as sold on Hebus as everybody else, because if she can't get the fight to the floor or she struggles here and the fight stays upright and stays in space, Hill is going to probably touch her up on the feet. And if that's the case, I think she could bust Hebus up, maybe even finish her. A lot of people are going to say I'm crazy because Hill doesn't have true knockout power, but I think Hill has better power and more power than people are anticipating and are giving her credit for, especially this spot. And with Hebus being so hittable, I wouldn't be surprised, man. So for me, I think this is going to be a lot more competitive than everybody anticipates. I do understand why the pick is Hebus. I'm going to pick her to win too because she has a better path to victory, meaning she could win this fight on the scorecards. She could obviously win on by submission as well. She just cannot let this fight stay in space and upright for a long period of time because I think Hill will pick her apart. So I'm not as confident as all the betters out there kind of riding that Hebus train. I think it's probably more so to me personally. It's a dogger pass situation based on what we've seen lately, the improvements of Hill and the ability or inability, I should say, to defend on the feet with Hebus. I think that's an issue. So for me, it's a dogger pass situation. But as far as the pure pick goes, of course, I got to pick Hebus. She is the more well-rounded, better fighter. So I'll pick her. And I'm going to come in the other way. I honestly do think that while Hebus is the more well-rounded fighter of the two, I think uh, looking at both fighters, I like uh, Hill. I think on the feet, she does have an advantage here. And Hill is uh, the more powerful striker. She's, I would say, the uh, more technical striker. Although Hebus can hold her own on the feet, but she is also coming off of uh, a knockout loss on the feet. So you have to take that into consideration as well. So I think that there's going to be a ripe opportunity here for Hill to get things going against Hebus in the standup. And if Hebus is unable or ineffective, then uh, there's going to be a chance here for uh, Hill to potentially knock her out. I mean, I, I legitimately think that uh, Hebus is vulnerable in the standup against a, a good, talented striker. And while she does have an elite ground game, I think Hill's defense in that department has improved drastically. So there's a very real possibility here that uh, Hill keeps this fight upright and then goes to work on the feet. And she's fighting at a really high level right now. So there's a, a chance that uh, Hill doesn't just keep this upright, but uh, finishes Hebus along the way. So I think 
that uh, Hebus is ripe for getting beat again, especially coming off of uh, the stoppage loss to Rodriguez. And um, if she does not get this to the floor where Hill has been vulnerable in the past, I think uh, that the chance that she doesn't just lose, but loses convincingly is pretty high. So Hill's going to be my pick. I'm calling the upset. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Carlos Diego Ferreira, who is 17 and 3, taking on Gregor Gillespie, who is 13 and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Gillespie up in minus 190 to come back up ahead at plus 165. Right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Gillespie minus 160 to come back up ahead at plus 140. Tough one, man, because I think a lot of people are understanding what the blueprint here is for Gillespie. Get the fight to the floor, out grapple, stay on top. Um, the path of victory, Darius just did it against Fajeda, did it enough to edge out that fight in a pretty competitive back and forth type of fight, but that was a difference maker. And Gillespie's wrestling is top of the food chain, so I understand why everybody's kind of high on his bandwagon. I know he got knocked out in his last fight, so he's been out for a while. Uh, that's a head scratcher too, man. I mean, you don't know. It's not like he's a spring chicken. I mean, both these guys are in their mid thirties. So, um, with the knockouts that they sustained from here on, I think it could definitely impact their careers or whatnot. So we're going to see how he bounces back with Gillespie coming off that devastating KO loss. Um, and Fajeda, I think people are underestimating his takedown defense a little bit because of the Darius fight and him getting taken down and not grappled by Darius. I think stylistically it's a little bit different for him here. I think he does have the capabilities to make this tougher for Gillespie. He has the finishing ability too. Fajetta does as far as submissions. I mean, he's a slick, he's not just your normal grappler. I think people are, are underestimating him in that aspect. This guy has some slick, slick chokes and slick submissions. So he's fought nothing but high level competition. It seems throughout his UFC career. So sometimes that won't come out as much as you like it to, if that makes sense. But in this spot with Gillespie, he's an outstanding grappler, but I, I think the way these guys kind of blend together, that he's going to have his opportunities and his moments here to possibly win this fight on the ground. If he doesn't, I think he is the better striker here on the feet. Gillespie's striking is not bad, especially for being the quality wrestler that he is. I mean, he's developed his striking game to the point where offensively you have to respect it for sure. It's just defensively, there is a little bit of a concern, of course. If Fajeda does have a lot of finishing ability on the feet. So I think Fajeda is the better finisher, whether it stays on the ground or on the feet. And he's the better capable fighter across the board, I think, other than Gillespie's wrestling. That is definitely the concern here. I could lose this fight by Gillespie grinding off ahead, getting the takedowns, and just edging out a very close split decision type of fight. I could see a loss that way, but more times than not, I think Fajeda will probably find a finish. And even so, on the scorecards, if it does hit them, I think Fajeda will make this close enough where he could even maybe steal a decision. So I wouldn't count the scorecards out, which is going to be a head scratcher for a lot of people here. If it does hit the scorecards, I wouldn't count them out. I think Fajeda can win on the cards. I think he can win by finish as well. So I'll go against the overall expectations here, which people are expecting Gillespie to get this fight to the floor and, and kind of dominate here. I don't think it's going to be that easy. I think Fajeda is going to have something to say about it. And I think he finds a possible finish along the way. So it's a dogger pass situation. Um, and I will pick Fajeda to win straight out. And you know what? I'm going to go Fajaya too. Uh, the main thing here for me is I think Fajaya has the ability to give Gillespie tr fits on the canvas. And I think he has the ability to uh, really make uh, Gillespie's life a, a living hell on the feet. Gillespie is an aggressive stand-up fighter. 
but in terms of actual technique and ability on the on the feet, um, for Fahea is light years ahead of him. I I legitimately think that. Um, and in terms of uh, ability on the ground, I mean, yeah, Gillespie is an elite wrestler. I mean, nasty, and he's very dangerous from top position with ground and pound. But Fahea is a fantastic. Uh, grappler. Like he, he has faced good wrestlers and he's made them look silly. Now, I know he is coming off of a loss to Darius, but don't hold that against him. I mean, this guy is legitimately talented on the ground. And I think that uh, there's a, a legitimate chance that he pulls this out. I mean, he is good enough to uh, get the win if and when this goes to the floor, whether it's by sweeping, using some of those uh, really excellent uh, grappling techniques that he possesses, or uh, perhaps uh, Ferreira gets uh, Gillespie in some kind of compromising position with a submission, whether it's off of his back or who knows. Uh, this guy is crafty there. So uh, he's good enough on the ground to be competitive with Gillespie, and on the feet, he should have the edge. So I like Ferreira. I'm a little concerned that he missed weight and he did not look, you know, it looked like he kind of just gave up on his weight cut. So I'm a little concerned about that, but in terms of ability, I have to think that Fahea can pull this off. So my pick is going to be Fahea. Now, moving all the way up to the heavyweight division, we have Maurice Green, who is nine and five, taking on Marcos Rogerio de Lima, who is seventeen seven and one. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Lima minus 180, green plus 155. That was the opening price. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently the Lima minus 190, the comeback on green plus 165. A lot of backers on the Lima in this spot. A lot of people were thinking that he's going to come in here and roll. He might. I mean, he could definitely bust green up on the feet. He's got enough power to do so. He can definitely out-wrestle um, green on the floor. And he's got a little bit of submission game to go along with it. I just, man, these two fighters. So hard to trust. I mean, I don't have confidence in either one. So you guys that are laying two to one in this fight, good luck. Um, I, I wouldn't do it personally because I, I tell you what, even though Green is definitely lacking, especially in his last few fights, he hasn't been fighting as good as we expected him to. At least he showed some promise. I mean, with that frame, with the size, with the weird unorthodox skill set that he has, because, I mean, this guy, even off his back, he could throw up submissions. Uh, he sh- He had no business winning his fight against Vellante. I mean, Vellante just kind of blew that beyond belief. So that should have been a loss, honestly, for him. But credit him. He did what he had to do, um, and he got the W there. So I don't know. This is just – both these guys, fight IQ sometimes lacks. Um, Defensively, it's a big concern. I think they have the capabilities of finishing each other. Green could possibly win by submission here. I wouldn't be surprised. DeLima has been submitted in the past. Uh, both these guys are heavyweights, obviously, so knockout's always going to be there. So as far as a pick goes, I'm going to pick DeLima. I get it. I think he is probably the better fighter here. But as far as defensively, I don't trust him at all. And I think Green, I wouldn't be shocked if Green does stop him. So for me, not as confident, again, as the public out there that is just backing and thinking that DeLima has this in a bank. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. It probably does play out that way. I'll pick him, but there's no way I'm touching this fight at the betting window. I'm going to go uh, with uh, DeLima here. I mean, again, as Nick said, it's tough to trust either of these guys. They're both very flawed fighters. But uh, in terms of ability, um, I think DeLima's the more well-rounded guy here. 
Um, Green is pretty dangerous with submissions. If uh, this goes to the floor and he's in uh, top position or or even bottom, he's pulled off a couple submissions from bottom. Um, and Delima does have that you know horrific fight IQ to the point where he can uh you know kind of pull defeat from the jaws of victory if you want to turn that uh phrasing around so uh, i'm definitely concerned about delima making a huge mistake but delima should have the power edge he should have the striking edge and his ground game is good enough that he should be able to uh, avoid green submissions but you know stranger things have happened and despite delima actually possessing an above average ground game he still gets submitted. I mean, he's been submitted by Romanov. He got submitted by Struve. He got submitted by St. Prue. He got submitted by Antigulov. And he got submitted by Krylov. Um, and then even back on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil, he got submitted by Antonio Carlos Jr. So I totally understand people thinking that Maurice Green is going to submit him because uh, he is more than capable of doing it. But uh, Green does not really have that great of wrestling. So... If Delima is able to keep this upright, I think there's a really good chance that he just straight up outstrikes him. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Delima winning by either knockout or um, decision, although I would not be stunned if Delima found some way to leave something exposed and get submitted because he's done it too many times in the past to trust. But Delima will be my pick. Now, dropping down to the welterweight division, we have Neil Magny, who is 24 and 8, taking on Jeff Neal, who is 13 and 3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Neil opened minus 250, the comeback on Magny at plus 210. And right now over Circus Sports, we have Jeff Neal minus 190, the comeback on Magny at plus 165. So line dropped. Totally get why people came in on Neil Magny plus 210. I mean, stylistically, this could be a very difficult fight for Jeff Neal. It could be a very difficult fight for most strikers that face Magny if they don't have outstanding takedown defense and wrestling. I think Jeff Neal does, though, have really good takedown defense and pretty solid wrestling. So this could be a good fight for him. But stylistically, the way Magny likes to fight, and especially in this matchup, he's going to want to slow this fight down, get this fight to the ground up against the cage, drape over Jeff Neal and, and try to kind of neutralize his offense a little bit so he's not as dangerous as he normally is. That's Magny's path to victory, getting the fight to the floor, trying to look for those submissions, trying to just make this a grinding type of grueling fight, which if we've seen him done time and time and time again. We've seen that happen for Magny. I mean, look at the Robbie Lawler fight as of late. Lawler, an explosive, powerful striker with decent takedown defense, and he was able to get that W there. So that's kind of the blueprint and the path to victory for Neil Magny. The other side of it, though, Jeff Neal is extremely explosive, like I said, and I think he understands what he has to do here. And he understands that he's going to need a little bit of space to operate here and to try to catch that chin of Magny. If there's ever been something that you can knock Magny about, it's definitely his chin. I mean, against good strikers in the past that he hasn't been able to neutralize, he's been in trouble against. And I think Jeff Neal could be that same situation in the problematic fight for Magny in that regard. So all depends on line shopping here. If you got Magny at plus 200 above, there's definitely some value there. I think if as this fight kind of drops – there could be some value opening up on Jeff Neal um, if it gets much lower, especially. So for me, I'm going to pick Jeff Neal. I do think he probably gets this done. It's just that the betting window, another tough spot, because I don't think you can lay two to one against Magny's style that he's going to try to implement here. He could be effective with it, and you could see your money go out the window. So more times than not, though, I do like Jeff Neal in this fight, and I think he gets it done. 
Yeah, this fight's really tough for me because I was all aboard the Jeff Neal hype train and Stephen Thompson made him look human. Now, granted, uh, Neal did beat some good fighters along the way. You know, Nico Price is solid. Bilal Muhammad, that's a real quality win, especially now. Um, you know, the Mike Perry win was dominant. Um, but you do have to factor in, you know, he has had his struggles at times. You know, Kevin Holland uh, was able to beat him before the UFC. And then again, against Stephen Thompson, he just could not get anything going. Now, granted, there's a lot of really great fighters that Stephen Thompson has flustered in his career. So that's not exactly something that, you know, you should be ashamed of. But uh, the real question is, can Neil Magny neutralize Jeff Neal too? Um, I don't know. I mean, Neil does have one of the longest reaches of any fighter despite fighting at welterweight. And if he can get that jab going, he could fluster Neil, um, kind of make him indecisive. We also know that while Neil did get out grappled badly in his last fight against uh, Chiesa, he does still have a really strong wrestling game. And if he can take Neil away from just that pure striking, then um, you know you, you take that out of the equation. Neil is a lot more vulnerable. Uh, we just haven't really seen a lot of people do that. He's been able to keep his fights standing for the most part throughout uh, his entire UFC run. So uh, I'm very interested to see if Neil Magny can get this fight to the floor. If he can, uh, can he keep it there? because he would be in a really good position. Because before that loss to Chiesa, he was on one of the best runs of his career with some really high-quality wins over uh, Anthony Rocco Martin, Jungling Lee, Robbie Lawler. I mean, he was beating very good fighters. So uh, it's very possible that he could pull this one off as well. It just depends on can he protect that chin, and if it is forced to stay standing, is the jab going to be enough? Because Jeff Neal is a very talented striker, even if Stephen Thompson made him look extremely human. So I don't know if I'm just, uh, what have you done for me lately? And, you know, completely throwing away my support that I've had for Jeff Neal for so long. But you do have to factor in that Neal had some serious health problems that uh, prevented him from fighting uh, for... Um, about a year and you know maybe that affected his ability against Thompson too maybe if he'd have been a hundred percent he'd have been able to perform better uh, and maybe even beat him but um, so I'm taking that into consideration and uh, the fact that Neil does have several paths to victory here I think Neil protects the chin and I think Neil pulls this one out I'm gonna go with Neil Magny I think uh, he wins by decision against Jeff Neil now Sticking with the welterweight division for the co-main event of the evening, we have Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who is 36 and 15, taking on Alex Morono, who steps in on short notice with an 18 and 7 record. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Cerrone minus 150, the comeback on Morono at plus 130. This line dropped down to about 130, minus 135-ish, I think, for Cerrone market-wide. Now it's all the way back up to minus 195 for Cerrone, the comeback on Morono at plus 170. Interesting, man, because tough, tough fight, I think, for Cerrone now, especially the replacement for Diego Sanchez. I think that fight was a lot easier for him at this point of their careers, and he would have had a, a highlight real finish possibly in that fight. But instead, he's getting a very game and dangerous opponent Morono here. So Cerrone, 
hasn't won a fight in a while. I believe he's lost the last four out of five, the last one being a draw. Um, they got turned into a no contest, so he desperately needs a win here. Now, the quality competition for Cerrone is always good. We know that time and time again. Uh, but Morono, on the other hand, I mean, he's been pretty impressive. I know he had that crazy fight with Pettis his last time out. Didn't really go his way, but he was obviously very game in that fight. Had a lot of success at times as well. So Morono is one of these guys that I think is underestimated as far as the striking skill goes. He has power on the feet. He got pretty good guillotine choke as well. He has that ability that if you take him down and he gets around your neck, you're in some serious trouble if he can you know, hold on to that choke. So he's not a fish out of water on the ground. Effective and really good, accurate striking at times. So I think there's a lot to like about Morono, and it's hard to kind of bet against him here in this spot. But that being said, I think Cerrone can obviously strike with Morono on the feed because he's still a really solid striker. I mean, defensively, and his durability is definitely getting worse as his you know career progresses, and he's 38 years old now. So that is definitely a concern on the defensive side. But I think what we're going to see here from Cerrone is the takedown ability, the wrestling ability coming into play. I think that's what he needs to focus and utilize more so as his career is progressing and he, he is aging. I think he needs to take this fight to the floor, and he's going to have a pretty solid ground advantage over Morono. I think Morono's not an easy guy to tap. He's never been submitted in his life. But Cerrone has that crazy, unorthodox, but effective submission game that he could possibly find a sub if he does get it to the ground. If not, his wrestling should be able to control this fight enough to kind of grind out a decision win as well. So I will go with Cerrone. I think he has more paths to victory here. I think he has enough left in the tank to win this fight over Morono. But again, as this fight price progresses, I think there's no way you can lay the chalk. I mean, 38 years old, his better days are behind him for sure. Even though he has a little bit left in the tank, I don't think it's really a good idea to go out there and lay that kind of chalk on Donald Cerrone in 2021. But it's a fight he can and probably should win, so I'm picking him to do so. And you know what? Call me crazy, but I'm going to come in the other way. Um, I know that while Cerrone hasn't performed well lately, he has been fighting elite fighters. I mean, almost everybody that he's been taking on has been like champion level uh, quality opponent. So you can't blame him too badly for not getting the getting wins, but still. Uh, it's a concern. It really is that uh, he has been unable to, to get things done. So I'm legitimately wondering how he's going to perform uh, against somebody like uh, Morono. I know Morono's stepping in on short notice, but it's a winnable fight here. It legitimately is. Um, I think... Uh, Cerrone's in decline, and while Morono is not an elite fighter, he put up a good fight against Anthony Pettis. He put up almost as about as good of a fight as Cerrone did when he lost to Pettis. So I think this fight's going to be competitive. I'm legitimately um, concerned that Cerrone does not pull it out. Uh, I do think that Cerrone has the power advantage. I do think he's a better technical striker, but Morono pushes a hard pace. Um, and he can fluster you. So I think that there is a legitimate chance here that we see uh, Donald Cerrone get beaten by uh, Alex Morono. So I'm going to pick 
uh, Alex Morono to to win by decision. I think uh, he just outworks Cerrone and gets the job done. So uh, Alex Morono is my pick. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening in the flyweight division. We have Michelle Watterson, who is 18 and 8, taking on Marina Rodriguez, who is 13, 1 and 2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? Rodriguez opened minus 155, the comeback on Watterson at plus 135. And right now what we're seeing over Circus Sports, Rodriguez at minus 200, the comeback on Watterson at plus 175. Minus 155, I'm game. I'm down. I'm going to get that line for sure. So those of you guys that hopped on Rodriguez at minus 155, hats off to you. Minus 160, 65, 70, wherever you got that number before it reached 200, I think was probably a pretty decent bet. That said, now we're sitting at minus 200 or above. I think you have to stay away from it only because Watterson is such a good and underrated grappler and wrestler in this spot. And a, a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy for saying that. But if you look at it, I mean, Watterson has a takedown ability and the ground ability to give Rodriguez a lot of fits if she's able to take this fight to the floor. Rodriguez is getting better in the takedown defense realm. Her submission defense is actually pretty solid as well. Um, but the times that she does have problems is when she is against a good grappler and they tie her up on the ground, they get position on her and they start working the ground game on her. So that's where she can get in trouble. Physically, she's going to be a little bit longer. She's going to be a little bit stronger than Watterson here. And on the feet, she is the better striker. Watterson utilizes her movement fairly well. She's effective. I love her toughness, man. I mean, she could be in a firefight. She takes the punishment and she keeps going. She doesn't wilt under that pressure. She doesn't wilt under that um kind of beating at times that she can't take. I mean, she, she could take it, like I said, uh, but offensively she could dish it out a little bit more than people expect her to. So even on the feet, I don't think she's going to get totally blown out, but I think she'll be fairly competitive, but Rodriguez is definitely the better and more effective striker in the spot. And I think she'll make her pay for it as the fight progresses. If Watterson cannot get this fight to the floor. So Rodriguez, I think it's her fight to win or lose. If she can minimize the time they spend on the ground, she's going to win this fight. But again, at laying over 200 or so, that's where the caution is. If Watterson gets this fight to the floor or she's able to continue to get this fight to the floor as the fight progresses, then she might be able to steal this fight. So all about ground versus striking in this matchup. But I do feel like the striker has enough takedown defense and is savvy enough defensively to get this W despite. So my pick is Rodriguez. Depending on where the line goes is where you want to bet this fight. The threat from the ground from Watterson is extreme. I mean, she has a very dangerous ground game. She's crafty there. She can toss up submissions all over the place. And her wrestling's improving. So I'm legitimately concerned for Rodriguez here. That being said, while Watterson is a good striker, and she's made some strides there, really added a little bit more pop to her uh, her strikes so that you have to fear them a little bit more. Rodriguez is a lethal striker. I mean, this girl can crack. Uh, we've seen her hurt uh, some really good fighters. And what she just did to Amanda Rebus was insane. I mean, Rebus was on a roll and uh, Rodriguez lit her up and took her out. I mean, she practically knocked her out like two or three times during that fight before it was finally stopped. Um, and, you know how good her striking is because uh, she did extremely well on the feet, uh, outpointing Tisha Torres, a, a very dangerous and uh, talented striker, um, a very you know aggressive, high volume striker. And Rodriguez was really able to stifle her striking. 
So, you know, as good as Michelle Waterson is uh, with some of her striking technique, uh, I just think Rodriguez. Uh, I just think Rodriguez is that much better. So for Waterson to win this fight, she's going to have to get it to the floor, and I'm just not convinced that she's going to be able to consistently get this fight to the canvas and keep it there. We've already seen Rodriguez pull off draws against some talented grapplers and, you know, random Marcos, uh, Calvillo. Um, she was able to, you know, stifle, uh, after getting taken down, she was able to work her way back up and win rounds. Um, and then the Esparza loss, you know, that's one of the, probably the second best wrestler in the whole division. And that ended up being a split decision. So I feel like she's getting better and better with her takedown defense. Uh, and she's faced some really good grapplers already. And, you know, the worst thing that's happened to her was a split decision loss against a former champ. So I'm going to go with uh, Rodriguez here. I think that she does keep this upright more often than not. And if uh, Waterson does take it down, I think Rodriguez avoids getting submitted and uh, does work her way back to her feet. And I think Rodriguez just outstrikes Waterson on the feet. Um, we've seen already Waterson uh, get beat up against good technical strikers. You know, Joanna young Chechek, um, Tisha Torres outstruck her. Rose Namajunas dropped her before finishing her on the ground. So uh, I, I definitely feel like uh, Waterson, if she's stuck on the feet against somebody as good as Rodriguez, I think that she doesn't just lose. I think Rodriguez might be able to finish her along the way. So my pick is going to be Rodriguez. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 26. If we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMA OB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. Um, you can also check for our free bet section on MMAOddsBreaker.com. And also make sure to check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.